The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Go run the stairs 20 or 30 times, you know, and get to the top, and Adrian! And I go in my bedroom, lock the door, and I jump on the bed and shadow box and, you know, sing the eye of the tiger, you know. Dun, dun, dun. My other favorite, sh- my favorite show, well, one of my favorite shows was MacGyver. Um, if you've never seen MacGyver, MacGyver is pretty much just the coolest nerd you've ever seen in your life. Uh, MacGyver was a scientist, really sharp, really quick, and, uh, but he also kind of worked for the CIA or some sort of agency. And the cool thing about MacGyver is MacGyver could stop a charging tank with a, uh, with a hairpin, bubble gum, and his glasses. And so it, MacGyver was just this amazing guy. But the reason why I love these guys is because I would identify them. I remember after one MacGyver episode, I went out and I put a trip loop in our hallway and uh, I was waiting for someone to come by and I waited five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Finally, my dad came by and I got him and uh, down he went. He, he was not as inspired as I was, but I was excited. He was frustrated. That's when he used the full name, Daniel Frank Jackson. But we identify with these characters. You know, identify with Rocky. You know, I wanted to be Rocky, the underdog who rose to the top. Or MacGyver, you know, the the guy who conquered evil with his cleverness and good looks. I wanted that to be me. We read stories, we hear stories, we watch stories. We identify with the characters, either because their story is our story or because we want their story to be our story. The story of Joseph is a true story. It's an amazing story. And I think many of you have communicated how you have identified with Joseph. Today, God is calling us to identify with his brothers. We are to identify with Joseph's brothers because Joseph's brothers are a picture of lost and hard-hearted sinners that are being pursued, softened, saved, and freed by the unrelenting love and grace of God. My prayer is that the brother's journey that we go through today with them would be our journey, both on a macro scale throughout the course of our life, but daily as we turn to God. As we go into God's word, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for these brother's stories. God, help us to see how we identify with them. May their story be our story, by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The journey that the brothers go through that we're going to look at today falls into four four parts. First, a sinner's guilt, a sinner's fear, a sinner's appointment, and a Savior's grace. A sinner's guilt, a sinner's fear, a sinner's appointment, and a Savior's grace. Let's start with a sinner's guilt. This first point and kind of the second point are kind of a recap of last week of what we studied in Genesis 42. But you remember the long journey of redemption that God had started the brothers on. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph's ten brothers sold him into slavery when he was 17 years of age. For 
20 years, these brothers have been living with this guilt. They have tried to medicate themselves. They have tried to cover up the guilt with their father. And it has been weighing them down. It has been haunting them. And so God, in Genesis 42, as we see, he starts to go to work on these brothers, surfacing their guilt to the top, that he might deal with them, that they might be freed from that guilt. We saw in a few ways, first, God brings an uncomfortable conversation to their mind, to their discussion. When they start talking about Egypt, it it brought back memories of what they have done to their brother, how they have sent him down to Egypt. And then it went on, and God continued to surface their guilt by reversing their experience. They had oppressed Joseph, and now, unknowingly, Joseph was oppressing them. And they had surfaced their guilt by extending grace to him, by giving them money that they did not deserve. And then in Genesis 42, we see the fruit of God's labor. In verse 21, when for the first time probably ever they said this, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. And so last week we see God surfaces their guilt, and he doesn't do this to shame them, but he does this out of his grace and love and mercy for them. You may remember the story, if you were here, of the raising, rising R&B artist Travel Martin, who at the age of 17 shot a man. For 14 years, he carried this secret, medicating himself, pushing it down, but it haunted him. And so after 14 years, he went to the police and confessed his crime. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. And when asked if he regretted turning himself, he said, no, I don't feel like I'm cheating life anymore. A burden is lifted. And so we see that in this story of a sinner, of sinners, our story, the brother's story, God, by his grace, surfaces our guilt. But that is only the first step in this journey that God has for us towards peace and freedom and redemption. As God surfaces our guilt, it naturally leads us to fear, to a sinner's fear. Now, just in case, again, you weren't here last week, I'm doing a lot of intros to try to catch you up to speed. But last week, the brothers came from Canaan down to get food. There was a, there was a famine all over the earth. And the brothers came from Canaan to Egypt to ask for grain, to ask for food. And they came before their brother Joseph. They didn't know it was Joseph because he had disguised himself. He was speaking in a different language. He was doing that to protect himself. But they came to ask him for food. In order to test them, Joseph accuses them of being spies. They defend themselves saying, we're not spies, we're all brothers. And so Joseph sends them back to go get their youngest brother, Benjamin, while keeping Simeon, one of the brothers, as collateral. On their way back, they go taking food. And on their way back, we read this in verse 28 of Genesis 42. He said this, one of the brothers said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Immediately, when they found the money, their hearts sunk with fear. They were afraid that God was punishing them. This was the money that they had given to the Egyptians to pay for the food, and now the money was put back in the brother's sack. And they were afraid that Pharaoh would kill their brother Simeon. They were afraid that Pharaoh would come and kill them. It goes on. Verse 28, we read, 
He said to his brothers, I'm sorry, verse 35, Genesis 42, verse 35. As they emptied their sack, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. You can see how self-focused Jacob is. He says, you have bereaved me. This has come against me. This is a very dysfunctional family. It goes on, verse 37. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. How many of you want to be Reuben's sons? Anyone? (laughs) Thanks, dad. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he, Jacob, said, My son, Benjamin, shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. There's two observations I just want to point out here, and the first is this. Idolatry produces fear. Idolatry produces fear. Benjamin was Jacob's idol. When you take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. We see this in Jacob's overriding favoritism of Benjamin. You see, the other brothers are somewhat expendable. If you have noticed, Jacob sends down all the other brothers on this dangerous mission to Egypt to go get food, but he keeps Benjamin back because he wants to keep him safe. Simeon is in prison. All they have to do to get him out is bring Benjamin back. But Jacob is afraid that his idol will be taken away. And so he says, no, you will remain here. And he lets Simeon rot in prison. Jacob has made Benjamin his God, his idol. He is willing to sacrifice everything else to protect his idol. His greatest fear is that he would lose Benjamin. For us, this is A great question to ask ourselves, is there anything in your life that you're trying to protect from the will of God? Anything that, if it was taken from you, you would not only be sad, but you would be crushed. This is what Benjamin was to Jacob. Whatever takes first place in our hearts takes God's place. You know, children are a blessing from the Lord. I love my children. Some days, I like them more than others, I'll be honest, but I love my children. They are a great joy to me, and it is such a temptation to center my life around my children when God calls us to center our lives around him. And so we see that idolatry produces fear because we're afraid God will take that idol away. The other thing we see that produces fear is guilt. The brothers' fear was based on their real guilt, of taking their brother and selling him into slavery. Do you remember how they interpreted their suffering in Genesis 42? In verse 21 again, they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. They have interpreted their hardship as their as a punishment for their guilt for selling their own brother Joseph into slavery. Then on their journey home, after finding money in all of their sacks, we read, at this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? 
their false guilt of stealing money because they didn't steal money, but that false guilt has surfaced their real guilt of selling their brother into slavery. And they were afraid to go down to Joseph, afraid that they might receive punishment from God through his servant, Joseph. When I was in elementary school, I remember one day getting on the bus and, you know, one of the unspoken rules, if you remember in elementary school is, you know, that seat with the wheel well in it, you remember that? And um, one of the unspoken rules is that, you know, if you sit in that seat, you kind of get it to yourself till the whole bus fills up, right? Or is it just in my mind? I, I mean, but you know, like, so, so I sat in the wheel well seat. I put down my backpack and I'm like, great. All the other roads can fill up. There's not enough kids. I'll get the seat to myself all the way home. Well, someone obviously didn't get the memo. And um, they came in and they went to sit down next to me. I go, dude, this is a wheel well seat. What are you doing? He goes, no, I want to sit here. So I scoot over you know, crunched up my knees on the wheel well, put the backpack on my lap, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how can I scare this guy off? Well, that day was also show and tell, and I had this little baggie of uh, coins, of coins from like different countries. My dad traveled a lot, and I was like, I know what I'll do, and so I, I took my backpack, I opened the zipper, and I pulled up the little baggie just so that the bag would show, not, not so the coins would show, and I said, hey, you want to buy drugs? And I'm thinking, this is going to scare the kid off, right? Like he's going to move. And he just says no, and then stays sitting there. So I, I kind of give up, don't think much about it. Well, that afternoon, my mom gets a call from the principal. And she talks to him, and then she comes and talks to me, and we had to go over to the kid's house to apologize, and I remember the fear and dread and guilt that I felt. I remember actually walking up to the kid's door and like hitting just a crack and falling down because I felt so weighted down by my guilt. And I knew that the next day was coming in which I would come in and I would have to face the principal. I would have to face that authority figure. Maybe there's something in your life you can remember where your guilt has led you to come before an authority figure, to face the music, and it has overwhelmed you, and it has been pressing on you. But have you ever thought that one day you will have to face the ultimate authority, that you will have to face the almighty God, that you will stand before him with your sin and your guilt and the awesomeness of God's judgment? Such reality should strike fear in our hearts. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him being God, who after he has killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. God is the one the one in all of scripture that we are commanded to fear, the one that we are to have a reverence for. First, as sinners, we fear God as judge, but then as children, we fear him as a heavenly father who disciplines the children that he loves and that he cares for. And so let me ask you, do you fear God? Have you understood the depth of your sin, the guilt that is on your hands? the blood that is on your hands, and understood that God is holy and that he is just and that he must punish all of your sin? Have you understood this and feared a holy God?
the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, preached what is known as the most famous sermon in U.S. history, and it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That reality is such a fearful reality. When we look, take a close look at our lives and see the sin in our life, especially when we know that we have an appointment with him. Let's continue. Finally, we get into Genesis 43. A sinner's appointment. Genesis 43, verse 1. Read along with me in your Bibles, if you would. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, the man, talking about Joseph, the authority. We still call the authority today the man, right? The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Talking about Benjamin. If you will send our our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Judah is not willing to risk his time his safety, nor his brother's safety, just to protect his father's idol, Benjamin. It continues, verse 6. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions, could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. If you remember earlier, Reuben made a plea to Judah to take Benjamin down. He said, I will give you my two sons. You can kill my two sons if I don't bring him back. I don't think that would bring a father comfort to know that a son who would have his children so expendable would be watching his child. But then you have Judah come, and Judah's plea is much different. Judah says, I will lay down my own life for Benjamin. Take me if anything happens to him. This is a man transformed by the forgiveness and grace of God. If you remember in Genesis 38, as he experienced that forgiveness from God. It continues, verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother Benjamin and arise. Go again to the man. If you notice halfway through this passage, Jacob is once again called Israel. That's a name that God had given to him several chapters ago when Jacob had wrestled with God. The name Israel has multiple meanings and there's somewhat of a debate on what exactly the word Israel means. 
but it means he reigns with God. He perseveres with God. He wrestles with God. Here, Jacob wrestles with God. He says, God, you have put in this famine on the earth. You have caused this great crisis to move me, but I don't want to move. I don't want to send my son, Benjamin. And finally, Jacob concedes. And in great faith, as Israel, he responds to God with this heart transformation. In verse 14, we see that heart transformation as he goes once again to God Almighty. Verse 14, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother in Benjamin. No longer is he thinking about his own self, his own grief. He's even saying, you know what? Simeon could come back. Continues, and as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. What an amazing statement of faith. I am entrusting you to God. I am entrusting you to the will of God. And if it causes me grief, it causes me grief. But God's will be done. There was an appointment that God had for Jacob's sons. An appointment with Joseph. And no matter how much they fought against it, that appointment was going to be met. It continues. It was an appointment of great terror, as you can imagine. Verse 15. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them. And Benjamin, they arose and went down to Egypt, stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, his house, Bring the men into the house. And slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. They came back to this divine appointment with Joseph, and they were afraid for their lives, rightfully so. You know, after my drug bust at Henry Elementary School, um, I did indeed go to school the next day with much fear and intrepidation. And just as I feared, the teacher came over to me in mid-morning and said, you need to go to the principal's office. (laughs) That was not an appointment I wanted to keep, I'll tell you that much. With great fear and dread, my heart failed me. I went to the principal's office and he sat me down and asked me point blank, did you have drugs? No, no, it was this baggie. Why did you do this? He must have missed the memo about the, you know, seat as well. It wasn't a very good excuse in his mind. Did you know that you and I have an eternal appointment? One that we cannot avoid. One that you are destined for, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a child or an adult, whether you are a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Jehovah's Witness, a Christian, 
Whether you're Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, whatever you are, you have a divine appointment with the creator of the universe. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of us have an appointment with the God of the universe, a just God who must punish all of our sin. I remember my first position after seminary was working at New Hope Church on the other side of town. And one of the elders had this little thing on his vest and it just had a question mark. And I said, what's that question mark for? And he said, well, it's the most important question you'll ever have to answer. I said, oh, what is that? He said, when you, if you die tonight and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And so, what would you say? Are you ready for that appointment with God? Do you know what you would say if you stood before him and he would lay out your sin and he would say, why should I let you into my kingdom? Well, we've seen this fear in the brother's heart. You know, the title of the sermon is From Fear to Cheer. And so far, we've really focused on that fear part, right? We've seen how their sin has been exposed, how it caused them great fear, especially as they had to go to this appointment with Pharaoh, with, sorry, with Pharaoh's servant, Joseph. But God never intends us to remain in fear. He intends us to move to cheer. And so we see here at the end of this chapter, the brothers' movement from fear to cheer. And just as the brothers are a picture of a sinner's journey, Joseph is a picture of the grace of God, of how God, time and again, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us, pours out upon us grace upon grace upon grace. Verse 23, he, Joseph's steward, replied, Shalom to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Now, there, there's two things that could either be happening. Either the servant could be lying to the brothers, but what I think is more likely is that Joseph paid their debt. Joseph absorbed their debt. He paid for their food and let them go. What an extraordinary act of grace from a man who was betrayed by those who he, who he gave grace to. The story continues. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the, pres- they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. You know, I love the language of the Bible. I love this term that is put here, that when Joseph sees his brother Benjamin, it says, Joseph's compassion grew warm for his brother. 
And so he went and sought a place to weep. Has your compassion ever grown warm for someone? Could you imagine what Joseph was feeling at the time? I remember this past winter, my second oldest son, Caleb, broke his nose. And we tried to ignore it for a long, or I did. Trish was more on top of it. Finally, uh, after a providential pediatrician appointment with one of our children, we realized that Joseph's, uh, sorry, that Joseph, that Caleb's nose was indeed broken and that he was going to have to have surgery. And so I remember that morning I'd, I'd said, I'll take him. I remember getting him in the car, driving across Tower Drive Bridge. He's just looking out, doesn't know what's going on. We just tell him we're going to the doctor. He's going to fix your nose. We're not, we don't tell him that you're going to have surgery, that they're going to put you under. That would just freak him out. So he's just, you know, minding his own business, watching the trees. Daddy, look, there's a boat. And my heart grew warm with compassion for him because I knew the suffering he was about to endure. We get to the hospital. We get him, strap him in the bed. You can see he's starting to well up. He's confused, scared. The doctor puts the mask on him. He's really scared, really confused. Quickly, he falls into his sleep. The surgery goes well, but he comes out and he's crying and he is in pain. I actually have a picture of him. I think I do. That was him after surgery. Does your compassion not just grow warm for him there? I mean, if you're a father especially, Joseph's compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. It continues, verse 31. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and then by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, and the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. So Joseph sat seated the 11 brothers from oldest to youngest, and they were amazed. Now, statistically, the chances of Joseph seating them from oldest to youngest is one in about 40 million. So they're amazed by this. They probably didn't know the statistics, but they were amazed by this. Verse 34, portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. This wasn't just a display of Joseph's affection for Benjamin, which it was. He loved him. He delighted him. Benjamin was his only full-blooded brother. All the others were half-blooded brothers. But this was also a test. How would the brothers respond to a favorite child? 20 years earlier, what did they do with the favorite child? They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. Now what would they do with the favorite child? Have they changed? Have their hearts changed? And indeed, we see they have. By the grace of God, it continues. And they drank and were merry with him. Remember the journey God has brought these brothers on. And it's going to continue. It's not over yet. But we see that God uncovers their buried guilt. Remember, they said, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. Their guilt leads to fear. We read that their hearts failed them when they saw the money and wonder, what is this that God has done to this, done to us? And then this chapter begins with the brothers convinced of their guilt and afraid for their lives, wondering what would happen when they returned to Egypt. Would God use Joseph to bring judgment upon them? But by the end of the chapter, their fear turns to cheer. It says they are merry. And the question is, why did their fear 
turned to cheer. It's because when they came to that appointed time, that time that they feared, where they would come before Joseph, when they would be judged for their sin, all they received was grace upon grace upon grace. First, Joseph had paid for their food as the servant of Joseph had communicated to them. They did not owe a debt for it. Secondly, Joseph treated them like treasured guests, like beloved brothers. He had them brought in, gave them water, washed their feet, gave food to their donkeys. Thirdly, Joseph treated them to a feast. Given the famine, I'm guessing it would have been rare to eat meat, but he slaughtered an animal and they dined and they whined and they enjoyed together and they celebrated. And finally, we see Joseph's unmistakable affection for, for Benjamin. As Joseph pronounces God's grace upon Benjamin, as Joseph's heart grows warm towards Benjamin, as Joseph gives Benjamin not two times, not three times, but five times the amount of food that is given to his brothers. And so we see when they come to this appointment, their fear turns to cheer because all that they have received is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You know, let me end with this story. A few weeks ago, during our fellowship break, when you guys are getting coffee, taking your kids to children's church, all of that stuff, someone came up and slipped a note in my pocket. And they turned around and left, and I didn't know what it was about, but I pulled it out, and it said, I'm questioning my salvation. Or I'm sorry, it said, I'm struggling with my salvation. This is a friend that I've met with a few times, and I know that they are weighed down by the guilt of their past. They just cannot understand how God could possibly love them. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe you look at your sin, whether it be past, whether it be present. Maybe it's habitual. Maybe it's repetitive. And so many times you have tried to block it out of your mind. You have tried to medicate, but the guilt rises to the top and it affects everything in your life. And so my question for you is how can fear turn to cheer? How can your fear of a holy God turn to great joy? And there's one way, and only one way that your fear can turn to cheer. And it's if you realize and understand that you are God's Benjamin. You are the one who receives grace upon grace. You are the one who God's heart grows warm for you with compassion. You are the one that he delights in, that he loves in, that he pours out upon you grace upon grace. You know, just as Joseph absorbed the debt of his brothers, God in Christ absorbed our debt at the cross, paying for it in full, so that we never again have to fear God as judge. Because all that he gives to us is grace upon grace upon grace. Joseph treated his brothers as beloved family, bringing them in, washing their feet, feeding their donkeys. We are told in Romans 8 that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are children of God. We are delighted in by him. And just as at the appointment, Joseph threw a great feast for his brothers, so at our appointment waits for us a great feast. In Revelations 19, 
we read this. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him God the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. If you are here today and you have trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're invited to this great feast. You're invited to God's grace upon grace upon grace in your life. You know, when you sit before God on that appointed day, God will not ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? It's a great question. I think it's a question all of us should ask ourselves. But that question is not answered there. That question is answered here, today. Has your fear turned to cheer? Have you looked to the cross? Have you recognized that all of my sin, all of my guilt is paid for in full? I no longer have to fear God as judge because all that he has for me now is grace upon grace upon grace. Let your fear turn to cheer. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace towards us. We don't deserve it. Like Joseph's brothers, we have sinned against you greatly. And we only deserve your wrath. We only deserve your punishment. But because of Christ, all you have for us is grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. We praise you that you would do this to us. Lord, we are unworthy. Help us to rest in your grace. Help us not to be burdened down by our sin. But help us to enjoy you as you have called us to do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.